millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden Podcast. We are here, Sadie Carpenter, cult expert here, as she is with you every time. How you doing today, Sadie? I'm doing fantastic. I should say, Sadie, happy Valentine's Day. Oh, thank you. Happy Valentine's Day to you as well. Thank you so much. See, um, Valentine's Day, is, is, is it's a very special time of year. Um, it's a time when uh, we are bombarded with not just uh, uh, advertisements and and uh, and and uh, a very corporate feeling of what love and what relationships look like, but also very often sexual advertising, sh- sexual content is is very much put front and center. Would would you agree with that, Sadie? Yeah, I I think it's a uh, it's a time where we celebrate love, but a lot of people have that conflated with a sexual relationship as well. And so today, we thought that it would be fun uh, to kind of go into what fundy influencers and, and various fundy influencers who have pivoted very heavily into the sex advice influencer sphere have to say on the subject as kind of a Valentine's Day special. Christian and fundamentalist influencers over the last few years have not just been talking about sex around Valentine's Day. It seems like that has become their primary topic of conversation, especially married couple influencers uh, like Paul and Morgan, but also like Kristen and Bethany of Girl Defined, who are both now married to their husbands. We're going to attempt to answer the question of why Christian influencers seem to talk about sex all the time, 
we're going to dig into those reasons and review some recent content in this vein. Yeah. So today, uh, Sadie's going to give us a general overview of purity culture, uh, which I don't know if we've really done a full overview on, on purity culture, really, uh, and, and just like laid it all out front and center. I think we may, have, we may have done that at one point, but it's good to have a bit of a refresher on that. And then we're going to talk about uh, some content from Paul and Morgan, and then we're going to ha- talk about some content from Girl Defined. And we're going to get uh, a, a friend of Sadie's and mine, uh, a friend of the show, uh, Liat Fruman, who is a, um, a, a, a practicing therapist, a, pla- a practicing mental health professional in the state of New York, but she specializes in um, um, a, a sex therapy as well as like addiction. That's, that's sort of where, where her main field is. And she's going to come on and she's going to review some of this content with us at the end of the episode and really give us her general thoughts. And that's going to be really exciting. Yeah. So I want to make a special note for any listeners who may be asexual. I know that's a whole spectrum and how much you're willing to hear about sex can differ wildly from person to person, but also for any listeners who are minors or just want a heads up on any actual explicit content, we are going to talk in the later half of this episode about specific bits of sex advice that are given by these Christian influencers and uh, in general say whether we think this is good advice or bad advice, but we're going to keep it PG-13 max on the streaming edition, although the Patreon edition might get a little more blue. I want to give you an example at the top just to level set. The advice that these people give is pretty basic pretty vanilla. So the advice we're going to be talking about is like, try new things, wear something sexy, don't be afraid to use lube. And we're going to evaluate whether or not we think those things are good advice. So that's that's the level of sexy content in this episode that you can expect, uh, just so we all have that expectation. <laughs> Of course, it's us, so um, chances are I may have quite an editing job to keep it PG-13. I hope I do a good job. Also, I should note, my dad started listening to the show. Dad, you're not allowed to listen to this episode. Um, by the way, uh, I didn't say this at the top. My name is Gabrielle Hakoan, Um here with Sadie. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, before we get into all of that, have, is that everything we need to say before we do the before we get into that? Spiel? That's it. Okay, well, that's it then. Okay, before we get into all of the stuff we're going to talk about today, just got to say the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, number one easiest thing that you can do to support us is hit that subscribe button so you get the new episode every Monday morning right when it comes out. It'll also help us out because it'll recommend this show to other people who listen to the same shows as you. And that's one of the biggest and easiest ways that we grow our audience and that we really get the word out there about what we're trying to do. You can also join our Patreon. We have a special Patreon episode coming out this week where we talk about what are we talking about, Sadie? Do you want to give the people a, a, a yes. preview of that? So last year on Patreon for Valentine's Day, we uh, listened to 
some bits from the IFB-approved sex playlist that was put together by Bob and Joe Beth Hooker, who are uh, relationship experts within the IFB. I mentioned on that episode that they wrote a book about keeping your Christian marriage spicy. And at that time, I did not have a copy of that book, but I have since acquired a copy. So on the Patreon this week, we are (laughs) doing an in-depth review of IFB-approved marriage tips. Yeah, and Sadie and I have both read through this book at this point, and there's some stuff in there that we need to talk about that (laughs) is very interesting. Oh, okay. If you like our show and you want to talk about our show online in a discussion with other fans of the show and talk about religion, talk about fundamentalism, share some memes, stuff like that, you can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Um, and I think that's about it. And I just need to thank the patrons. Uh, so I gave it all to your patrons. There's two of you. Same as always. Melissa Mosley and Kathleen Moncrief, you guys are the best. I really love you guys. You are incredible. Unbelievable. Um, that you guys are, uh, support us in, in such a big way. Our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, your names are Alex Todd, Alicia Guild, Ali Allen, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, the musical, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton Here's a Shane. I'm just here to send Sadie True Crime Podcasts, aka Meg, Janine Callen, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna K. Turwee, Kristen Marie, Lauren Vanderwall. Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, MC Crunchwrap, hashtag the boy who cried sauce, Michaela Upright, Madeline Antrim, Marlena Stuve, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Scooby Sleuth, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, The Lady Rabbi, Walnut, Son of Walnut, Wendy Dalton, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. We love you so much. Yeah, thank you so much to our I Gave It All tier patrons and all of the Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, and to everyone who supports us over on Patreon. Uh, we really appreciate you. And we really do appreciate all of you guys. You guys like really make it possible for us to do this show and really uh, make it possible for us to dedicate the amount of time that it takes for us to make this show actually happen uh so we 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 really uh uh, 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 all the thanks in the world to you guys okay you ready for that tw yeah hit it okay in general we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show including but not limited to mental health discussions of suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we'll mention at least a few of these topics, but we try very hard to avoid any graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story that we're telling, and we do our best to give the audience a heads up before we go into detail when it is relevant. 
In this episode, we will be talking a lot about purity culture, modesty culture. It brings along with it a whole load of homophobia, misogyny, and racism. We're going to talk about sex shaming, body shaming, purity rings, the whole nine yards as related to purity culture. Thank you for that, T.W. Sadie. Thank you for that uh, content warning. So I want to start off by talking about a video that Paul and Morgan put up a couple weeks ago um, where they were explaining sort of why they are transitioning from doing more general content to extremely focused like relationship content and, mm-hmm. and, and sex focused content like dating relationships and and I, I think that what they said their their tagline was it's it's D M I which is dating marriage and intimacy for a TMI for your DMI. So there it's too much information for your dating marriage. It's <laughs> okay. actually, it's a, it's a good tagline. They're like, it's, it's the D uh, the TMI for your DMI. And I'm like, that's, that's snappy. That's, that. Yeah. That's kind of cute. So Paul and Morgan, they kind of meandered a little bit around the topic, a little bit at the top of the episode, but Paul basically said that he was having a conversation with somebody or listening to a podcast or something. And, and the question came up, why should the heathen have better sex than the Christian? Do you understand like the back context behind why they would be asking that question and like why that is the assumption that heathens are having better sex? Well, I understand from a worldly perspective why heathens would be considered to be having better sex than Christians because, you know, what we can talk about it, we can, um, there, there isn't the same culture of shame around mm-hmm. it. Um, if something's not working, then, you know, you, you can figure out what you like more easily without having to feel like you're dirty about it. So I would say maybe about 15 to 20 years ago in Christianity in general and in Christianity conversations, the topic was broached that maybe this culture of shame around married heterosexual monogamous sex was not a great thing for Christians who are in heterosexual monogamous marriages. Um, and maybe that culture of shame yeah, was contributing to people not being satisfied with their sexual experiences. So a lot of books came out talking about different aspects of this idea. And I think the, the overarching point was what if we're missing out on something that worldly people have because we are not willing to have these conversations? Surely there is a way for us to confine sex to heterosexual monogamous marriages, but expand our understanding of what that is within those boundaries. Some really great material came out around this, um, like The Great Sex Rescue. Some material that I have not reviewed and don't know if it's great came out around this, like the book When Risque is Okay, and some material that we've reviewed on the podcast or will be reviewing this week, like Romance and Marriage by Bob and Joe Beth Hooker, came out around this topic. You know, I do admire the bit of self-awareness where they're basically saying, this is something that maybe we're not on top of and this is a huge problem for us if we don't address it right away. And like I said, some good things came out of this. So a lot of material that I don't like or don't agree with came out of this, but a lot of material that I think is great and necessary and fulfills its purpose really well 
also came from this realization. Where, like, if 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 you're saying, well, it's not just that gay people can't have sex, or it's not just that um, unmarried people can't have sex, you're saying no one can have sex. Like, you're you're shooting yourself in the foot right there. You're you're kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face. Well, there had been so many books and teachings that assumed that Christian women in particular did not like sex, want sex, or enjoy sex at all. And that was the that was the presumption that this is something that you have to do to keep your husband happy, just like he has to go to work and pay the bills to make you happy. Very transactional. Yeah, it's just part of the contract of marriage. And this it became apparent that this was not enough, that this was not sufficient. So that's where this trend of Christian marriage is great, Christian sex is the best came from. But I do want to step back and and take a look at the definition of purity culture, because I think that's the other bit to why we have so many people like Paul and Morgan making Christian-focused sex content. And that's kind of where the crux of this problem really came from to begin with, isn't it? So I think it's too easy to define purity culture as the belief that everyone should refrain from having sex until they're in a heterosexual Christian marriage. Purity culture certainly includes that idea, but all of the surrounding rules and additional teachings around that idea are really what makes up purity culture. It's not simply don't have sex until marriage. There's a lot more to it. So I want to give you the shortest history of purity culture that I can Obviously, a history of the concept of virginity would take a full episode, if not multiple episodes, on its own. We should do that episode. I would love to do that episode. I can do that. Um, The concept of virginity and the idea that a person should not have sex until marriage is neither new nor exclusive to evangelical Christianity. It's not even exclusive to Christianity. In the ancient world, the concept specifically of female virginity was related to male power and ownership of women and AFAB people, and the ability to prove paternity. So the concept that something about a person changes when they first have sex, the concept of virginity itself, and the belief that AFAB people in particular must be virgins at the time of marriage has definitely influenced both ancient and modern Christian teaching, but it's not really rooted in Christianity. It's rooted in patriarchy, a general distrust of women and AFAB people, and ownership. And then Christianity has appropriated that, built myths around that, and incorporated it into the teachings of Christianity now. So this idea of the construct of virginity has subjected actual millions of people to stress, to invasive testing that we now know to be unscientific, and to real-life harm for thousands of years completely outside the Christian paradigm. The idea of not having sex until marriage was a common idea, not just in Christianity, but in European culture and other cultures for hundreds of years. A hold It was a holdover from these ancient traditions around paternity and from medieval history, And all of that held on through more modern periods of history. So when when culture started to change and the idea of remaining a virgin until marriage was less of an important cultural idea, 
particularly white Christians, but Christianity in general started to push back very hard. We've talked about the idea of standards. So when the world goes one way, we go the other way. As the world in general became slightly more permissive of extramarital sex, mid-century evangelicals decided to not only uphold the old norms of virginity until marriage, but enforce them much more strictly than they had been enforced before. I'm not an expert, but from what I've read, I think that in the earlier half of the 20th century, these norms of you should be a virgin until you get married were definitely in place, but the enforcement was not really there. There were things you couldn't be seen doing, uh, like the song, Baby, It's Cold Outside. You, you, sh- you couldn't be seen spending the night at your date's house. You couldn't present yourself into, to the world in a way that made it seem like you were having any extramarital sex, but plenty of people did, uh, which is how we have so many nine-pound premature babies uh, in the first half of the 20th century. So what evangelicals decided to do was not just uphold those norms, but enforce them in a stricter way than had been done in recent memory. I've certainly heard enough 1960s and 1970s sermons from Jack Hiles where he's blasting teenagers for parking or going into reasons why he hates the quote-unquote free love hippies uh, or yelling at First Baptist Church of Hammond teens for going through the Tunnel of Love ride at the county fair <laughs> to, know that, <laughs> to know that the idea that sex is only for marriage was definitely the accepted idea in Christian culture well before the 1990s and that enforcement was starting to ramp up well before the 1990s. However, in the 1980s and the 1990s, a few things changed. First, AIDS entered the cultural conversation, and the fear of other STIs also became a talking point. High school sex ed, as incomplete and insufficient as it may have been at the time, became so much more prevalent, and it often shocked parents like Jack Hiles, who said that he started Hammond Baptist schools in large part because of sex ed being taught in public schools and not wanting to have his children exposed to that. Teen pregnancy rates were extremely high in the 1990s, but states restricted what teachers could teach about contraception. The anti-abortion movement was at full tilt, and abstinence-only advocates began to make their voices heard. After all, as we all probably heard as teenagers, the only 100% perfect birth control method is to not have sex. This was also the time of D.A.R.E., the time of the evangelical rebranding of Christianity is something that the cool teens did, the time of the message, the teen study Bible, and see you at the flagpole and worship bands and Christian rock music's resurgence and modest is hottest. There was a little bit of crossover between evangelical Christian values rebranded and repackaged as a cool thing for teenagers and teen culture in the 90s. And in that unique cultural moment in 1993, True Love Waits came to be. So True Love Waits, these, this is the group that popularized purity rings. Uh, True Love Waits is an organization started by the Southern Baptist Convention. They found popularity across many Christian denominations by asking young people to sign a pledge stating that they would not have sex until marriage. This pledge signing was often very ritualistic. Sometimes it was done in front of a church group 
or at a formal purity ball where teenage girls would dance with their fathers while wearing white dresses and make very creepy vows to their fathers and literally sign away their virginity to their father's ownership. Yeah. yeah. We should probably do an episode on that. Uh, Yikes. <laughs> that's not my trauma, but uh, it's a lot of other people's trauma. So this is where the rules of purity culture start to come in. And also the homophobia and a lot of other isms and phobias. Because side note here, anyone who isn't straight is completely erased by this movement as a whole. I'm going to be using all of these phrases like opposite gender, uh, which is not really scientifically a thing. Um, but when I say, oh, you can't be in a car with the opposite gender, I know that that's not a very helpful or correct term. But they assume, the entire movement assumes that everybody wants to have sex, that all AFAB people are women, that all AMAB people are men, and that all people want to have heterosex. So it's complete asexual erasure. It's complete anybody who's not straight erasure. Highly problematic. <laughs> so with that in mind, the rules of purity culture begin to take hold. The idea was that most people who intend not to have sex until marriage find themselves in a situation at some point during their dating life where they are with their partner, maybe they're with a boyfriend or girlfriend or even fiancé, they're kissing, making out, in the heat of passion, they end up having sex. They just can't control themselves. So, purity culture reasoned, well, if we get rid of some, if we tell people not to do some of those intermediate steps that lead people to having sex, then maybe they won't have sex. So, if we tell them, oh, don't kiss sitting down or lying down, if we tell them, oh, keep three feet on the floor at all times, or if we tell them, if we make these additional rules, maybe they won't have sex. When that wasn't super effective, more and more rules began to be piled on. So it was then, well, you can kiss, but don't make out for more than, and people would put a time limit on it. So don't make out for more than five minutes or more than two minutes or more than 30 seconds. And then you got people who followed purity culture who would very literally use a timer to figure out how long they could kiss their partner for. <laughs> and, and, and these rules just continued to pile on. So then it was, you can kiss, but don't, don't, like do deep kissing don't make out at all you, it's like a pet hello pet goodbye that's fine that's it and then it was well don't kiss at all save your first kiss for your wedding day like bethany uh, and then it was don't hug don't hold hands don't be alone in a building don't be alone in a room don't be alone in a car with your partner don't touch them at all and then it was don't hug don't be alone in a room don't be alone in a building or a car with anybody of the opposite gender. And these rules upon rules upon rules were supposed to prevent horny young people from falling down the slippery slope to premarital sex. And and like as as an adult, I really tend to call bullshit on a lot of this because I have been in situations, whether with somebody that I was dating or somebody who I was not dating but I was attracted to or somebody that I was neither dated dating nor attracted to where purity culture would have assumed that we would have just immediately jumped each other and that's not what happens in the real world. It also of course completely erases consent but that's another discussion for another time. 
Well, the the fundies don't really know about consent. Right. They're not aware. So this is where the misogyny comes in, as if we weren't already having enough fun here. The characterization of all men as sex-crazed animals and all women as either naive and modest or brazen seductresses is similarly ancient. This is not an invention of purity culture, but this trope got applied to Christianity and to the growing True Love's True Love Waits movement. Even young teenage and preteen boys were told that their hormones and their thoughts were almost uncontrollable, which is a terrible thing to tell young men. Well, yeah, if you tell men that they're like completely uncontrollable, then that means that anything that they do isn't really their fault. Right, but it also gives them an immense sense of shame about their un- supposedly uncontrollable body, mind, and hormones. It's bad both ways. <laughs> it's bad for everybody. It's So there is so much to say about the misogyny of purity culture, and I, I promise I'm about to get into all of that, but I never want to talk about how terrible it was for women and is for women without talking about how terrible it is also for men and for queer people and for non-binary people. Like, my experience has a lot to do with how this harms women and AFAB people, but I don't want to pass over the harms that it does to others. So, young boys were told, your hormones are uncontrollable, your thoughts are uncontrollable, your body is uncontrollable, You are a monster with a sin nature who is just ready to harm a young woman irreparably at any time if you don't watch your every thought and your every action. On the other side, teenage and preteen girls were told that their bodies were evil, just like boys were told that their minds were evil. Teenage and preteen girls were told that the mere sight of their body was enough to send a man beyond the point of all reason that if a boy saw her and found her attractive, he would lose self-control and he would ask or pressure or force her into some sort of sexual activity. So men were told that it was their job to cultivate self-control and women were told that it was their job to cover their bodies as much as possible and curate every outfit and even their body movements to be less eye-catching for men, lest their boyfriends, friends, fathers, and brothers lose control and turn into sex-crazed maniacs. Because if a woman or girl or AFAB person dressed immodestly and caught the eye of a man or AMAP person, and that man chose to harm them, it was the woman's fault because of what she was wearing or how she appeared. Women were made responsible for the actions of men around them, that they were also made responsible for the feelings and emotions of the men around them as well. And that's pretty grim for everybody. (laughs) So in 1997, the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye was published. This book encouraged young people not only to save sex for marriage, but also to only date or even speak to young people of the quote-unquote opposite gender with marriage as the ultimate goal. So the original goal of purity culture was don't have sex until marriage, which I might add is fine. It's not for me, but it's fine. I know successful couples who didn't have sex until marriage. Like I said, this is a thing in many cultures for a lot of reasons, but that's a risk that a person can choose to take for themselves or a couple can choose to make for themselves. What's so much more 
problematic is this list of rules that go far beyond don't have sex until marriage. It instills the terror of the opposite sex and one own sex drive, believing that you and your date are both uncontrollable in the wrong situation and ending with the demonization of women's bodies as temptations from Satan, the mere glimpse of which will lead men into unrecoverable lust. So it's the waiting till marriage part is so mildly problematic compared to all of the additional rules and the culture that grew around that. Of course, I do have to note that the rules are designed by and for people with thin or less curvy bodies that fit white European beauty standards. I can only speak to my own experience as a white AFAB person in purity culture, but from everything I've read, from all the stories that I've read, it is compounded and worse in every way for women and AFAB people of color. So the promise of purity culture is what writer Kately Beattie called the sexual prosperity gospel. Teens under purity culture are told, as I was told so many times, that if they can successfully wait until marriage to have sex, which can be attained by following all these rules, they will have a marriage that is blessed by God with sexual enjoyment and fulfillment that cannot be replicated any other way. They are promised that there is no risk to waiting to have sex until marriage. They are promised that compatibility and love are guaranteed and that God will bless their marriage and their sex life in every way possible. So that is purity culture. It is the endless addition of more rules which disproportionately affect women and AFAB people and erase asexual, trans, and non-binary and gay, lesbian, and bisexual people entirely in pursuit of perfect sexual purity and a God-approved sex life after marriage. So after hearing all that, which, uh, by the way, thank you for that really detailed explanation. Um, I really enjoyed that because I got to wax poetic there a little bit. <laughs> oh, you did. And it was so well put. You have an excellent way with words. And I, I really a- appreciate times when you get to, to, to show that off. But after hearing all of that, I, I think it's clear you know, that that this can absolutely cause a problem because how are you going to go from being told, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then you get married, you have to flip a switch. And, you know, to their credit, these Christian influencers like, like Paul and Morgan, like, like Bethany Beal, when they talk about this subject, that's one of the things that they talk about is they talk about the the pressure of having to go from don't do it don't do it don't do it don't do it and then trying to flip that switch until be it to being like hypersexual. Yeah, so that is a slightly newer development. So I talked about how maybe 15 or 20 years ago was this renaissance in Christian thinking about wait maybe our reluctance to talk about married Christian sex is actually making our sex lives worse. Maybe we should actually be talking about this. The renaissance of, oh, wait, we've raised a generation of people in purity culture and told them, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Oh, you're married. Go for it. And they don't know how to flip that switch. And maybe we should start talking about that too. So that's that's a more recent development in this conversation. So I googled um, why do Girl Define talk about sex so much and the entire first page of results was Girl Defined articles about sex. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So I I found an, a very interesting take in an article from Religion News 
Uh, their take was basically influencers sell a f sense of false intimacy. So you might be using your favorite influencers brand of shampoo or the brand of beauty products that they sell. You might wear the same clothing or the same clothing style that they do. You might decorate your home the same way that they do. So when married Christian influencers talk about purity culture, what they're selling or what they're implying is you can follow the rules that we used when we were dating and you can end up with the same marriage that we have. But the reason that Christian influencers talk about sex so much is that purity culture itself teaches that sex and the avoidance thereof should be a major factor in a person's life. All of these additional rules around dress, behavior, and even thoughts take a lot of time and effort to follow. Every outfit has to be analyzed. Every interaction has to be overthought. Think about people in purity culture who follow all those rules about not being in a car alone with someone of the opposite gender or not being in a room alone. Well, if you need to go somewhere in a car, it takes longer to plan how you are going to get there because you've got to plan around this rule. Right. And you can only ride with certain people. Oh, that makes sense. Right. So you and your friend who you're not dating want to go somewhere. Well, you've either got to, so you want to go to the store and get ingredients for dinner. Say there's a big group of purity culture teens or young people hanging out at one person's house. And some people are going to go to the store to go get ingredients to make dinner. Well, you can't leave two people of the quote unquote opposite gender in the house at the same time. And you also can't have two people of the quote unquote opposite gender in the car together. So you have to think about who's going to stay and who's going to go and plan that all out. The logistics and the hypervigilance take a lot of time out of a person's day, and it naturally leads to sex or the avoidance of it being one of the major things that a person is thinking about at any given time. The way that they justify this to themselves and their viewers and their followers is, like we said earlier, the church hasn't been talking about sex enough, and that's left room for the world to come in and spin their sinful narrative. So the church needs to talk about sex more so that Christians don't go after worldly sex advice. And this is okay because God designed sex. So before marriage, Christian influencers have to performatively show viewers all of the things that they are doing in order to avoid sex. And the more they're doing and the more that they share about how they're avoiding it, the more holy and pure they appear. So there is a tension to be gained by doing more than the next couple, having extra rules, then after marriage, it's absolutely crucial that they sell the promise of purity culture. So the promise is once you're married, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be perfect. God will bless your marriage because you waited. So after marriage, they have to perform and show all of that blessing from God. Or otherwise, here's the kicker. If they do not perform this wonderful blessing from God well enough, people might think that they weren't pure, as quote-unquote pure, behind the scenes as they made themselves out to be. Do you think that the demand for sex content also factors into this as well? I know that when we do an episode, like if, if we do an episode where we talk about the Duggars um, or, or another famous fundy, 
we'll probably get, I don't know, like 20, 30% more downloads than we would otherwise. I can only imagine that if you're an influencer and you're, you know, your bread and butter is getting downloads on videos or getting views on your, your TikToks, your Instagram reels or whatever. Um, I can only imagine that if you do like a video with some topic that's related to sex, you're going to get a similar sort of bump. So they have to lean into that because that's what the people want to see. I mean, if you put sex in the title of anything, more people are going to look at it no matter what. Sure. So I think the demand for sex content outside of getting more views simply because it's snarker bait comes from two different demographics for Christian influencers in particular. So demographic number one is Christian teenagers. Teenagers within purity culture are in that phase of waiting. They are thinking about sex all the time, partially because they're normal teenagers with hormones, but also because purity culture has ingrained in them that this, uh, the sex and the avoiding the sex are what they're supposed to be thinking about all the time. They're also very likely to not be receiving any comprehensive sex ed at school or at home. So they're obsessed with the topic, but they're not being really told anything about it. So my theory is they're watching these Christian influencer videos to try to glean what information they can and also to be encouraged and built up that they are doing the right thing by waiting. You will hear a good bit of this content being aimed at teens, specifically from uh, Girl Defined. And the typical line from purity culture influencers would be something like, well, the world gives you all of these negative and wrong messages about sex, but we're here to tell you the truth. And teenagers love being told the truth. They love not being treated like little kids. So it makes total sense that this would be attractive to them. I think the second demographic of people who are really interested in this um, Christian sex influencer topic is people who are recently married. So imagine if someone grew up in purity culture, they did everything they were supposed to do, and now they're married and things aren't going quite as well as they imagined or hoped. Remember, a lot of people in purity culture tend to get married younger than the secular average. So they're often getting married between the ages of 20 and 23. So these are young people. They might feel unsure of themselves and maybe they're watching these videos either to try to find something relatable, like when Kristen Baird said that she wasn't really attracted to her husband when they got married, but it's grown over time. Or maybe they're trying to find something aspirational. They want a couple who they can believe has this amazing God-approved sex life, and they want somebody who feels like a mentor to look up to. And I think that's the demographic that Paul and Morgan are trying to reach. All right, here we go. So I think that was an excellent uh, description, Sadie, of why these influencers feel like they have to talk about sex so much. And um, I want, to, so now what we're going to do is we're going to go, we've got some, um, a couple videos from, from like Paul and Morgan that we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about their video where they talk about why they're doing sex advice to begin with. And we're going to talk about their video about, um, where, where they're giving sex advice to... Uh, is where this the one like popular sex advice we reject? Yes. Okay. Okay, great. There there were kind of like five main points that I, I, I took away from it. Okay. Um, is that cool if I kind of 
uh, uh, deliver those five main points and then we talk about them Absolutely. Uh, uh, one by one. So the first point, and this is more funny than it, it is about the substance of the content, but instead of saying porn or pornography or porno or adult videos, they say P-O-R-N, like they spell it out. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, so they'll be like, "Yeah, um, it's not good to be looking at porn." Like that's that's what it will be in the um, in the phrase, which they say it's in order to keep them from getting demonetized. Um, that's hmm. what Paul says, and I, I know that YouTube uh, especially uses a lot of like AI software in order to detect uh, explicit or hateful content, and that content creators have to jump through all sorts of hoops to not get like their content demonetized. Which is one among several reasons why we aren't on YouTube. That's not really criticism, I think, but I just kind of find that funny. I'm always down to start with the snark. And I don't think you're wrong, but I also think there might be another reason that Paul and Morgan are reluctant to use the word porn. Interesting. Go for it. So I wonder if this is because of the evangelical hype around porn addiction. As I've said before, Problematic porn usage is absolutely a thing that happens to people. Classifying it as an addiction is really not agreed upon by experts. And whether or not you believe that porn addiction is a real thing or a real addiction, saying that anyone who views porn often is an addict is really inaccurate. But because evangelicals make such a huge deal of porn addiction and they make it out to be a huge problem, I wonder whether Paul and Morgan think that saying the word is potentially going to make somebody relapse on their addiction and they're avoiding it for that reason as well. You know, that's really, that that's really fascinating point. And if that's true, I kind of like want to give them credit for that. That's like them being sensitive, but also it's kind of goofy, kind of loony. It's, it's goofy, but it is ideologically consistent So there's got to be at least half a point for that. Okay. So the second point that I'm making about this video is that Paul and Morgan, Paul especially, are extremely aware of the snarkers to the point where they will acknowledge the snarkers in their videos. Like they are constantly talking about like blah, 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 said this in the comments section and we don't think that's right. Or they will read out loud and negative comments that people leave on a video and say, we don't think that's right because blah, 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 blah. Like, and you know, more than just like a, Oh, that's funny that they're so aware of the, uh, of like that. I like, I'm telling you right now that this is a recipe for disaster. Like if you're a content create creator as Sadie and I are number one thing that you've got to remember is that not everybody is going to like you being hyper aware of reviews and being hyper aware of comments and and like what people are saying about you is almost always a recipe for like a mental health disaster and like a self and, and like self destruction. Paul has specifically referenced YouTube videos of sex therapists reacting to his and Morgan's marriage and sex advice, and then backtracked and saying that he didn't watch them. Which I don't know. I kind of find this highly unlikely just from his vibes. Um, not really based on anything, but. I know that he is an extremely online guy and really wants people to think that he's an expert. I just think that it's funny that he called out these videos by name because that's also kind of what we're doing today is we're criticizing him on a podcast episode. Um, 
So, Paul, if you are listening to this episode right now, which I suspect you are, you should really get a better quality camera and streaming setup or whatever you're doing because the quality on your YouTube videos maxes out at 720p. And if you're serious about being a video content creator, you've got to go up to 4K. You've got to go up to 4K. (laughs) Sorry, I don't have I don't have a, a response to that one. <laughs> Number three. So they made a series of videos of of popular blank advice that we reject. So it'll be popular marriage advice that we reject, or popular dating advice that we reject, or uh, popular sex advice that we reject. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like putting it, it, like putting this as your premier dating and and uh, relationships and sex advice series. Just kind of you're giving yourself a, a license to just go ham on straw man fallacies the things that they're saying that they reject like the advice that they're saying that they're that they're rejecting usually fall into one or two categories so category a is the type of thing that i've never heard anybody say but they will say that they reject it so they can come across as reasonable the second category is like basic common sense advice that they reject so that they can come across as edgy and i think the best example for this Sadie, I'm sure that you'll have an opinion about this, is um, in, in the sex advice that we reject video, one of the takes that they reject is that, quote, you do not owe your partner sex. Nobody owes sex to anybody. And Morgan's response to this was, I believe, word for word, if you're not a Christian, then you do not understand what it means to love selflessly. And that was kind of her, that was her response to that take. <sighs> Which is a, I mean, it's a wild thing to say, but then she sort of backpedals this and she sort of says, well, that doesn't mean you have to have sex whenever your partner wants, but you can't keep rejecting them for weeks and weeks and months and months, which I'm not 100% sure exactly what Morgan is trying to say here. But I think that because that original take that, that you don't owe your partner sex, you don't owe your partner, you don't owe sex to anybody. I think that they see the original premise and the original way that that was phrased as uh, with with sex never being owed they see that language as being feminist or woke so they're required to reject it no matter what even if the substance of the statement is something that they're kind of like 50 50 on or even maybe inclined to agree with you know it's always like we reject this but qualifier 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 right so i noticed a couple things in there the take that they reject is you don't owe your partner sex. Nobody owes sex to anybody. And Morgan's response is, if you're not a Christian, you don't understand what it means to love selflessly. Yes. So that's that's interesting that she is equating sex with love. That's a interesting take there. I, I do think, yeah, they see this as being feminist and they want to take it down. I want to point that out that something that Morgan said there is actually in the Bible. So what she said about you don't have to have sex whenever your partner wants it every single time, but you can't continually reject them for weeks or months, that's in the Bible. There's a verse in the New Testament written by Paul, who, like Bill Gothard, was single, about how husbands and wives are allowed to deny each other sex for a short time for a specific reason. Modern Christians would say that medical advice, uh, like if someone is ill or waiting until after a person who has given birth is cleared by a doctor would be valid reasons under this clause. Another specific reason given in the scripture is if both partners agree to abstain from sex for a period of time to focus on prayer. But scripture says, 
After that time, you need to resume your married sex life because you don't want to burn with passion for someone other than your spouse, or you don't want to burn with resentment and grow to resent your spouse. But that's not really a direct rebuttal to the idea that you don't owe your spouse sex. The idea that you owe your spouse sex is incredibly toxic. And I agree with your take. Morgan sees this statement as feminist and woke, and she therefore has to cherry pick a scripture verse so that she can reject this advice. On a side note, they don't really tend to attribute a source to any of these pieces of advice because I think they're all just sort of like harvested from comment sections or or like Instagram replies. So when they'll say, so, so like what they'll do is they'll ask, what is some popular advice that you reject? And then they'll do a video with a bunch of those. And honestly, for me, I feel like that's kind of lazy content creator video aggregation BS. Like that's one step above making a... A, a video like Christians react to the Try Guys infidelity scandal. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. I could see if they were doing a sex advice that we reject video and then they got the takes that they were, I don't know, they were like rejecting takes from Dan Savage or somebody who is well known and respected by the heathens. Or I could see if they were responding to listener takes on an IG live, but like doing a YouTube video where they're just like, this is, we read comments, like this is you in the comment section and we read your comments and react it. Like that's kind of just some lazy content creator, BS, poor quality content. And I, <clears throat> I would actually watch Paul and Morgan trying to argue with sex advice from Dan Savage. That would be really oh. interesting. I would actually watch that. Paul, if you're listening to this, and um, I kind of suspect that you are, that would be a really good video idea. You guys should do that. I would watch that. And I won't even ask for royalties uh, for coming up with the idea because I'm so kind. And also because your ad revenue is probably next to non-existent, which is the perfect segue into point four. Oh, um, okay. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. So the, the point four is that like the point of these videos is to put the Christian victimhood complex on display. Paul and Morgan talk about how difficult it is for them to find uh, a brand sponsors and, and do partnerships with their videos because the, uh, of the nature of their content, which on the face of it, I, I don't doubt that that's accurate. I think that a lot of brands wouldn't want to be involved with them because they're anti-LGBT, they're very reactionary, and they wouldn't want to be associated with those views as bad PR. On the other hand, I think there's a lot of Christian brands that would be okay with being associated with those views, but probably aren't going to want to be on board with Paul and Morgan because they're making sex Q&As. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. this They're in a tough niche. They are in a tough niche, and this brand of evangelical Christians are are constantly infighting over minutia. So when it comes to advertisers and pots of money, who like is there even? Like when it comes to the biggest advertisers, like who have we gotten ads from? We've gotten ads from like BetterHelp, but BetterHelp wouldn't touch Paul and Morgan, even though Morgan has a uh, borderline personality disorder and Paul has ADHD. They're both very open about that, and they would be good people to talk about various therapies, but because they're so anti-LGBTQ, then they, they wouldn't be able to do that, you know, and BetterHelp wouldn't touch them. Mm -hmm. Like, 
compare that to like our biggest advertiser for automated ads right now is probably like Amazon Web Services, but Amazon Web Services probably wouldn't touch them because Paul talked so much about rings of power and like repeated all of the lines from every reactionary critic of the show who called it too woke or whatever. So like at the same time, these are the people who are like, um, who are chanting go woke and go broke. So you can't really feel bad for them, but I just think it's funny. I personally think that the, all the complaining about not being able to get sponsorships is bait for Paul and Morgan to try to get people to support them financially, like through their Patreon. The tactic is, oh, these people are speaking the hard truths and they're getting passed over for ads, so I should give them money to stick it to the libs. Yeah. I think I that's mean, like, their pitch. Who would sponsor them? I mean, they could probably get like Chick-fil-A to sponsor them or like Hobby Lobby. Maybe my pillow guy could sponsor <laughs> them. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Which leads me, as you were talking about the hard truths, this leads me into like point five, which is the final point of the video. Of, of, of my takeaway from watching this video and we're going there which is that Paul and Morgan like to portray themselves as speaking hard truths that people need to hear often Paul will say oh we're going there on his videos and then say like the most milk toast thing that I've ever heard in my life he'll say things like that. He'll, he'll be like a lot of you guys aren't doing a good job at satisfying your wives and you t- need to make sure that it's an enjoyable experience for her like no duh paul is a 30 he's like 33 years old yeah but he perpetually gives me the vibes of a high school kid who was the first in his friend group to lose his virginity and now he's the sex expert of his friend group right (laughs) like to me paul perpetually looks like he's both somehow 35 and 17 like anyway so the way that he does this like in calling out that like other Christian men aren't satisfying their wives. Like he's doing like a backhanded humble brag. And he's saying that he does do a good job at like satisfying his wife and that all Christian men should follow his examples for being a real good sex haver. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this last point is it's probably like my biggest gripe uh, of like with, with like the quality of their content because Paul and Morgan will never candidly discuss sex or, or like sex acts or sexual preferences or anybody. Um, right, unless they're hating on LGBT people. Right. But what they will say is what they, they'll, be, they'll be like, should, if somebody asks a question, like, should I do this or should I do that? Like what, what technique should I use? They'll say something like the yard is big. Right. That's like their, like they're, they're like the yard is big is is there uh, a, a go-to phrase about this in reference to trying different things like as a sermon illustration because they're saying well married sex you know you can do everything in the yard but the yard is very big but like they'll never say they'll never give a straight answer on any particular thing exactly like they they won't get into the nitty-gritty and say what those things are you would never see paul and morgan do a video where they answer is anal sex okay in a christian marriage okay you would never see them do videos like are butt plugs okay how do i bring up the idea of of using toys without making my husband feel emasculate like you would never see them make that video or you would never see Paul and Morgan answer like a question about bondage you would never see Paul and Morgan answer a question like 
what if somebody asks him, is it okay for us to make a sex tape and then watch it back together? Is it pornography if it's just off and us and it's like just us for us to watch together? Like they would never be able to to answer that question. And those are the actual questions that a lot of Christian married people have. Right. And like those are questions that if you're going to give sex advice, if you're going to be serious about giving sex advice to married couples and you want to be taken seriously as a thought leader within the subject, then you have to be able to answer those questions. You have to be able to like back up your answers with a solid reasoning and not just give some milk toast. The yard is big code. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, okay, the yard is big, but what's in the yard? Like, are the butt plugs in the yard or are they outside <laughs> the gate? You know, like, ah, uh, like, honestly, if they really went there and they were really willing to give this sort of advice that were one well-reasoned two good advice, I think I honestly, like, I honestly think, and maybe it's heresy for me to say this, but I think that a lot of the snarkers would back off because they, they like run out of things to criticize them for. And all they do is just fall back on the, oh, Paul's eyebrows move around and he's so smug, which is just like lazy criticism anyway. And if you ask me, you can't just keep making snarker content on, oh, Paul's eyebrows, blah, 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 blah. That's boring. So I want to go back really quick to the other thing that you were talking about, Paul's hot take about you actually have to satisfy your wife. Number one, if you subscribe to the Patreon, there is a special episode on Valentine's Day. There's a whole thing about culmination and this very much has the same vibe culmination is the worst euphemism for orgasm that i've ever heard and then later in this episode we got to talk about cultivation these people so (laughs) this is something that should not need to be said but unfortunately it does need to be said one thing about purity culture is that it erases the physical desires and needs and wants of all women and AFAB people to the extent that people of all genders literally do not know that AFAB people have sexual desires, can experience pleasure, or can have an orgasm, sorry, I mean culmination. I know that this sounds insane, but I a real AFAB person raised in purity culture and extreme sexual repression, I knew that I experienced crushes. I knew that I could look at a person and think, oh, they're pretty or they're handsome. I had no idea that I was also feeling sexual desire because I did not know that I was capable of visually finding someone sexually attractive because people had told me my whole life that I was not capable of that. I also did not know what an orgasm was for an extremely long time. And then I also did not learn that AFAB people are physiologically capable of having one for several years after I learned that they were a thing for AMAP people. I I want to get a little bit more into that PG-13 territory just for anybody who needs to be aware, because I want to discuss the constant debate of what is okay in a Christian marriage. Like, can we do X? Can we do Y? So speaking more to this missed opportunity in the Paul and Morgan video, a lot of this type of content, not Paul and Morgan in particular, but people in this space in general, is focused on, is X okay in a Christian marriage? And to me, it seems like it's always the same three or four questions. So it's, is anal okay? Is oral sex okay? Is period sex allowed? And is pulling out allowed? Those are like the four questions 
<laughs> that are the most common in this space, and people will fight all day. Oh my god, different four questions. So the general consensus uh, for those following along is probably not, absolutely yes, probably, and 50-50. Although you'll find people who are hard yes or hard no on any of those four questions, and you will find people with every possible combination of answers, like yes, 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 no, or no, 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 no. <laughs> so you'll, there, but people will fight all day over that and really never go beyond it. So I think that we've answered the question that Paul and Morgan set out to answer, which is, why do the heathens have better sex than the Christians? And the answer is that Christians aren't allowed to do butt stuff. Well, we don't even know that because Paul just says the yard <laughs> is big. Okay. Well, it's, like, here's the thing is that, like, if you're going to be a thought leader who gives out sex advice, then you have to be able to answer those questions. And you have to be able to stand by your answers, even if it means alienating people. And it's called having convictions. I thought that Christians were supposed to like have convictions and and stand up and not be afraid to to state publicly what they believe, even if it's unpopular. You know, unless of course they're full time influencers and and content creators who rely heavily on crowdfunding from Christians who really like to disfellowship themselves from other people, right. and they. <laughs> They make a living and they don't want to uh, diminish their slice of the pie. But like I said, if you're a thought leader and you're able to make a well-reasoned argument one way or the other, the people who disagree with you should still be able to respect you, right? Like, I mean, and, and sometimes they'll do this where like Paul will say that he recommends watching. Th this is one thing that Paul said. He said that he recommends watching sex ed videos on like YouTube of people describing how to do certain sex acts, not to be confused with watching pornographic videos of people actually doing those sex acts, which apparently him suggesting that was like something he got heat for. Yeah. Did he stick by what he said or did he try to dial it back? No, he stuck by what he said, but oh, he didn't say him. pornographic videos. He said P O R N. So, right. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, if Paul and Morgan wanted to do a video that goes beyond these questions that have been rehashed and litigated over and over, I think one question that you asked uh, when you were talking about this point is, is bondage okay in a Christian marriage? Can I demonstrate for you the Christianese answer that Paul and Morgan could give that would offend very few people if they actually cared about answering real questions? Oh, go for it. Okay. I'm, I'm actually very interested in hearing this. Okay. So, what they could say that would offend very few people is the following. Yes, bondage is okay in a Christian marriage, but there are a couple of things to keep in mind. It's never within God's plan to damage your partner's body permanently. We personally believe that anything that could leave a scar or permanent damage or injury is not okay. So, if you are going to want to do bondage, you need to be safe. You need to have a safe word, and if your partner's mouth is covered like with a gag— this is where Paul and Morgan would both giggle a lot. You need a hand signal that they can use if they're too uncomfortable and need to be untied. You also need to have bandage scissors or seatbelt cutters on hand for safety reasons. And you should do a little research about how to safely tie someone without cutting off blood flow. But we feel like this can be acceptable in a Christian marriage 
as long as everyone consents, everyone's enthusiastic about it, and as long as you are caring for your partner's safety the way that God would have you do all the time, both in and out of the bedroom. In next week's video, we're going to be talking about what to do if one partner wants to try something new, but the other partner is scared or not fully on board. There it is. <coughs> so there's your Christianese answer. They could just say that. I mean, if they said that, I mean, the, the snarkers would probably make fun of them because let's be real. The snarkers, it's in Christianese and it's kind of funny that, right. to be answering that question. <laughs> and they would both definitely like giggle through the whole thing. Oh, of course Because they that's would. what they do. <laughs> but the content of that answer is intellectually consistent and it it's, it's sexually ethical. Seriously. That's, yeah. Two minutes of reading an article about safe bondage, add in a few catchphrases about God, and that's it. That's all you got to do. But that's the thing. Paul and Morgan are, they, they do, they talk so much about the yard is big, make sure you satisfy your partner, but there's no real discussion of what that might entail. They'll never come out and say, you should try, and I'm going to get a little bit blue in here, um, but they'll never say, you should try sticking your finger up your husband's butt and playing with his prostate because they can't like openly advocate for something in explicit terms that isn't strictly vanilla. Because they're mm -hmm. going to be doing that is 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 going to be taken as saying this is something that we've done and it works for us because they're influencers. Which, right. And and if it's something like that, they absolutely cannot be seen doing that. Like, and I want to say that this is like the flip side of Paul and Morgan's like we're going there mentality. Because if Paul admonishes men for not being satisfying to their wives he's sort of humble bragging that he always satisfies his wife but if morgan were going to come out and say try playing with your man's prostate then other christian men are probably going to go around saying oh paul's secretly gay because he likes a finger up his butt you know like this is like right this is all entirely hypothetical by the way this is all just like completely um a hypothetical scenario. I don't want to get it twisted. I have no idea what these people get up to in their bedrooms. And frankly, I'm not particularly interested in that either. But th this is like a hypothetical problem that they could encounter. And that's the reason why they can't make like why it's so difficult for 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 uh, uh, people of their ilk to make good content about this topic. Yeah, they want to be sex influencers, but they are wading through an ocean of homophobia everywhere. And they're embarrassed to actually talk about sex and they don't want to put their cards on the table about anything that they actually do or that actually works for them. So, I mean, their content is bad because of the niche that they've put themselves in. Also, on top of that, this is just like, a, as a general thing, this is just why it's a bad idea to use your personal life and your relationships to make content because people are going to have something to say about it and then it affects your 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 lives, if you're using your life to make content, then that affects the way that you go through your life. If you're afraid that everyone's right. constantly watching you and you have to do something and you have to like have some sort of habit in order to please the people who are going to be watching you when, and uh, it, it's, it's just a bad idea. Don't do it. Yeah. I think another, I think the, the final piece of this problem is that they are not creative enough to, come up with ways to describe things that are clean enough for their channel. I, I know that they want to be on a public channel, they want to be monetized, and they also, from their evangelical point of view, 
they know that <gasps> unmarried people watch their videos and they're terrified of igniting those unmarried people's sinful desires by going into too much explicit detail. But they can't, so they can't give the portion of their audience who are married and want real sex advice what they need without potentially losing the portion of their audience who isn't married. And to be fair to them, they do say, if you're unmarried, maybe you shouldn't watch this video. Or if you're unmarried, you should use your best judgment about whether or not you want to watch this video. Well, well, why were you watching it then? You're not married. It's true because I wanted sex advice from Paul and Morgan. That's why I'm watching it. Um, For when you later end up in a Christian monogamous heterosexual marriage. Yeah, that's what's going to happen to me. (laughs) Well, your marriage will probably be at least two of those things. So it's Christian monogamous and heterosexual. Yeah. Yeah. It won't be Christian. I'll tell you that. Um, But if you're going to be sex influencers, how are people going to know that the sex is fire if, 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 if aside from you just like telling them that the sex is fire if like what if one day you just have like a really unsatisfying session which happens by the way every like this this is a thing that happens if you and then you get up and tell everybody on the internet about how great your sex life is or are you going to like do the honest thing, which is go on the internet and say, yeah, we tried to do it this morning, but I was really distracted. I was stressed about the mortgage and I couldn't really get into it. And nobody came like, excuse me. I'm sorry. Nobody uh, culminated. (laughs) (laughs) Or is, is like saying that, is that going to harm your reputation of being an couple who is great at sex? Or does that detract from your thesis of sex within a Christian marriage is always the best if you have to admit that sometimes it isn't? Like, I think that is the whole thing that the Christian, that's the whole thing that the Christian sex fluencers are dealing with right now. We're going to get into that a little bit more when we go into the girl defined videos and podcasts that I watched for this episode. Oh, I'm very excited. In a few minutes. Um, I think that's the thing that people are wrestling with because there's been this pressure of you have to perform having this perfect, amazing sex life because that's the promise of purity culture. And I think the tides are turning away from that in a probably helpful but also very awkward way. <laughs> Before we get into that, I think we should go take up the offering. Yeah, let's do that. Um, and and in the second half, we're going to talk girl to find, and we're going to have our friend uh, Liat Fruman, who is a a, a sex therapist, in the state of New York. She's going to come in and she's going to review some of this content for us and give us her professional opinion, which is going to be a lot of fun. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We are back from our break. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that coming on our Patreon is Sadie and I are reviewing a Christian sex manual. Uh, What's it called? Uh, It is called Keeping the Flame Alive. By uh, Bob and, and Joe Beth Hooker, who who are are noted within fundamentalism for giving the best marriage and sex and and relationship advice within fundamentalism, um, at least within Sadie's branch of the IFB. Right. We've talked about Intended for Pleasure by Ed and Gay Wheat on this show before. That Those authors are like the best in fundamentalism in general. Bob and Joe Beth are the best that specifically the IFB has. And we're so going to do the the good, the bad, and the hilarious from that book. And believe me, there's some wild stuff in that book. Uh, but if you subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, that's our, our special Valentine's gift to all of you. You can hear us review that. It's, it's going to be funny. Um, Sadie, let's go into this Girl Defined content. Sure. So I watched a video from Girl Defined called Answering Your Questions About Sex and Intimacy. This video was published in November 2022. These are the questions that Girl Defined fans have. The first five minutes of the video, by the way, is Kristen and Bethany just shilling their book. They also take a quick dig at sexuality and gender, quote, getting so convoluted. They finally get into the first question, and the question is, If a girl is going to be single her whole life, does that mean she will never have sex? Bethany really kind of shames this question asker. (laughs) She says, you're asking the wrong question. Don't try to see your future as leading up to when you will or won't have sex because only God knows what his plan for your life is. This is fine, like, Christianese advice, but also purity culture teaches people to spend their entire lives focusing on whether they will or won't have sex. Bethany then says, um, well, God designed sex and he designed it only for marriage. So yes, if God does not plan for you to get married, then God also does not plan for you to have sex. For more information, check out our book. Uh, Let's see. Second question. Uh, Kristen reads this question and says that several people have asked it. uh, Is sex really as good as people say it is? Kristen and Bethany say, yes, sex is awesome. At least our culture has that right. (laughs) And then we get some Uh. less cringy advice. Um, Kristen says that sex is awesome, but it's something that couples have to work at, which is actually okay advice. Uh, She throws in a phrase about couples, quote, serving each other through sex, which is kind of gross. But Kristen says... What you see in movies like instant fireworks and chemistry is not automatic and not every time you have sex is going to be amazing and you have to work with your partner. So it's kind of gross in phrasing. Yes. 
but it's also in my mind i i that's what i feel like is christianese for something that is fairly yes but once again these are just like general questions that aren't really like right um kristen gives a good although kind of strange analogy she said that sex is sometimes like a steakhouse like a wonderful high quality experience sometimes it's like chilies like it's convenient it's good it's reliable and sometimes it's like mcdonald's because it's fast and gets the job done (laughs) (laughs) this is a weird analogy but it is not a like as the um, reigning monarch of analogies on this show, it's not bad. You know what? She's she's not wrong. I'm I'm with Bethany on this one. Bethany gives great sex advice. Oh, that <laughs> was Kristen. Joking. That was Kristen. Okay, well, Kristen. So I, I wanted to bring up this question because we talked about how there's this potential turning point where Christian influencers are not trying to sell this vision of like a perfect sex life because you waited for marriage and I will give them credit for dispelling that at least. You may notice there have no, been no actual sex questions yet. Uh, here's the next question. What is allowed before marriage? Kristen and Bethany wonder out loud why God didn't give us a black and white list of what is and isn't allowed before marriage, which I think if God had given us that list, that would have been a lot of people's favorite Bible chapter. <laughs> um, uh. Bethany says, don't think of it as what can I get away with and think of it more as like, God, how can I honor you and respect the man I'm dating? I definitely have thoughts on this because this is something I heard a lot growing up to justify the rules of purity culture. Like if you were asking your youth pastor or pastor, I understand it's wrong to have sex before marriage, but why is it wrong to hold hands? This is the kind of phrase that you would get smacked down with. Like, well, why are you thinking, what can I get away with without crossing the line instead of thinking, how can I be the most holy and pure right now? So this line of of thinking sounds good because they suggest making a list of things that you can do that you feel like properly honor your partner and God. And this sounds really positive. This sounds really permissive, but it's not because it's answering a genuine question with thought control and shame. The person asked a good faith question and they're met with, why are you thinking about this all wrong? That is insidious. It It really is. It is. It, it leaves the person who asked the question feeling off balance and doubting themselves and their motives and feeling shameful and dirty, which is kind of antithetical to the whole girl defined, we should talk about sex because God made sex for us to enjoy within marriage. It's not even necessarily sexual desire always. I mean, it could just be, I really love this person. Why can't I express my love to them in a physical but non-sexual way? Like, why can't I acclimate myself to their physical presence and their existence in my life before I'm supposed to open myself up and engage in sex with them, which is extremely vulnerable. So Kristen and Bethany say that they're going to shift gears to something more serious. Uh, One of their listeners asked, I'm unsure how to move beyond my sexual past and not let it hold me back. Can I start over? In this segment, Kristen talks about her past of sexual sin because she was quote, wrestling with masturbation, entrapped in that sin, and wanting freedom. And then she talks about her experience of finding freedom and receiving God's forgiveness after repenting of this sin. I really, I just, I want to be affirming 
because I know there are people with very good hearts who really believe that they should not have sex until they're married. And I don't see any reason, like we were talking about um, last week when we talked about Ginger's book, like the difference between a view that I disagree with and a view that's actively harming people and and who is consenting to per- to potential harms of a belief or action. If a person chooses not to have sex before marriage, they are consenting to the risks of not having sex before marriage. They're also protecting themselves from what they perceive to be the risks of having extramarital sex. So I don't want to invalidate that, but I just, I do not see how there could be a religious problem with an experience that a person has with their own body, which it's the whole God owns your body thing, which I I really dislike. So uh, if you're repenting from sexual sin, Kristen and Bethany recommend going to God, walking in freedom, reading your Bible, pray, go to church, repent, receive God's forgiveness. And I wanted to point out why this is a bad answer. This is a bad answer because we don't know what kind of, quote, sexual sin this question asker was referring to. It could be like that they had a similar story to Kristen, like they were masturbating, they felt really bad about it. And in that case, this would be a fine answer. But the question asker could also be referring to having had extramarital sex, which is much more of a big bad deal in purity culture. Or it could even be that this person had a past with some kind of sexual abuse or assault. Sadly, people in purity culture will often refer to that as a sexual sin that they committed even though that is really not accurate. Mm. Um, So I feel like this is a very irresponsible answer on Kristen and Bethany's part because they could be giving a perfectly fine Christianese answer to somebody who masturbated or kissed their boyfriend and felt bad about it and wanted a Christianese answer. They could be giving this question asker exactly what they need, but they could just as well be failing to care for someone who has been abused or assaulted. And I think they should know that and i think this is a very reckless answer yeah it's just like they don't they're like we want to wade into these waters but they don't know like they're they're just so unprepared for it that they're like and they don't get the implications of who they actually could be hurting with this advice to be honest i think i i watched paul and morgan's video about how and why morgan had premarital sex did you watch that video uh no i don't think i've ever seen the whole thing i've seen clips i watched that video and i found it to be far more relatable in a way to discuss this than what whatever like the hell girl defined is saying here which is uh pretty much nothing um yeah that's so i think i can decode some of the christianese here in the girl defined video we've talked before about needing to have a testimony So the more dramatic the tale you can tell about how Jesus and fundamentalism pulled you from a deep, dark place in life, the more popular you can be. This came up a lot when we were talking about the John Todd story. He had this very dramatic story of being a Satanist, uh, and that's partly how he got so much street cred, and he was able to grift a lot of money. Kristen and Bethany don't have a testimony outside of this. They were raised Christian, always in church, never rebelled or did anything significantly unapproved. So now they have to dredge up this, quote, sexual sin and how they were in such deep sin and all of that so that they have some kind of testimony 
in order to relate to their audience. And I almost feel bad for them because this forces a person to dredge up something embarrassing about themselves and put it out on a public platform. But they're also the salespeople in chief for purity culture. So I don't feel bad for them. (laughs) Well, it is like it's like having cry night on a public platform. Right, or testimony time. And they have to have something to say, and that's the only, quote, sexual sin they think they've ever done. So that's what it's got to be. These are all questions that they've been answering so far for unmarried people. Do they have advice to married couples? Like, do they give advice to people actually having sex with each other? So the first Girl Defined video that we turned up did not have any actual sex advice in it, although it purported to answer all of the questions about sex. It didn't. I finally all of them. <laughs> every question anybody's ever had about sex. <laughs> and uh, then it is- answered precisely none of them. Um, <laughs> none of the questions <clears throat> were about sex. None of the answers no. were about sex. <laughs> it was all about not having sex, actually. <laughs> So I found one Girl Defined podcast with actual sex advice on it, and then I found a second one. So both of these are with Francie Winslow, who is a Christian sex educator. Um, And after listening to her talk for a while, I kind of don't hate it. Um, She is the host of Heaven in Your Home, which is a Christian sex podcast. And then the first one that we listen to includes a couple who does another Christian sex podcast had no idea that niche was that big um but the the other couple is clint and charity from the show restored to more um these are supposed to be interviews the first one that we listen to bethany does not actually seem to be interviewing them she's reading sex advice that she solicited from instagram followers and then getting responses to that advice from her guests the second one that we listen to Bethany is reading sex questions from her Instagram followers and Francie, the guest, is answering them. Okay. Well, so speaking of guests, Sadie, do you want to introduce our guest? I thought you were going to introduce our guest. Am I going to introduce our guest? Okay. Well, this is uh, our guest is a friend of mine and a friend of Sadie's. Uh, her name is Liat Fruman. She is a, a sex therapist operating in the state of New York. You are, uh, do you want to introduce yourself to our lovely listeners? I'm Liat Freeman, a licensed master of social work in New York State. I currently work as a therapist in a community mental health setting, primarily with complex trauma, but I also have a background in substance abuse counseling, and I am a PhD student studying clinical sexology. Well, we do think you're quite qualified to <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna read some of these pieces of advice and some of these questions. And what we would love for you to do is kind of give us this is good advice or this is not so good advice. Sounds good. I was actually really surprised at how not terrible this was. I thought it was going to be a lot worse. I I agree. This could be a lot worse. So Sadie, let's get into the first piece of advice. What are we going to start out with? So I'm going to start with a couple of questions from the Girl Defined interview with both Francie Winslow and Clinton Charity of Restored to More. So one question is, what is okay in a Christian marriage? Um, Bethany did not answer this question. She said, oh, I'll link this other podcast for you. It's a great resource on finding out what's okay for you as a couple while making sure you're not stepping outside of God's good design. 
See, this seems like one of the questions that everybody's asking, but nobody actually wants to give an answer to because they're afraid that their answer is wrong. Does anyone have an answer? Yeah. (laughs) So this was answered on the other podcast, the other interview with Francie Winslow. Um, she, so she said, we as Christians are dying for permission for everything. And this was in response to, so a listener asked, my partner is deployed in the military. Is there any way that we can use sex toys together to still be intimate while my partner is physically separated from me? That's an interesting question. That's like, that, that's a serious question. And I'm glad she's tackling this, which is in, in fact a serious question. Yeah, that's that's a real question. Um, I hate to give Bethany any props because she's Bethany, but this is the kind of question that I could never imagine Paul and Morgan answering in one million years. They would never be willing to answer this question or, or talk about anything this specific or explicit on their show. So, um, Francie Winslow says... We as Christians are dying for permission for everything, which I thought was actually a really good observation. It's almost like a permission kink that they have. Like, Well, <laughs> so the funny thing to me is permission for talking about sex is huge for anyone, Christian or not. In sex, the field of sex therapy and sexology, there's um, something called the Plicit model, which is basically the stages for working with sexual dysfunction um, as an intervention. And the first part of the Plicit Model P stands for permission because so many people struggle with the ability to talk about sex, period, end of story. People don't bring it up with their doctors. They don't bring it up with their therapists. They don't bring it up with their friends, um, which is actually why I wanted to go into the field as I always loved talking about it. So, <laughs> Well, it's this, it's this fascinating behavior that humans do that is also potentially reproductive. There, there is so much of interest. Um, I gave a warning at the top of this episode for listeners who may be asexual or sex repulsed and don't want to hear it. But I have known ace people who were neuro- neurodivergent and sex was one of their special interests. Oh, did not, didn't, weren't particularly interested in experiencing it physically themselves. That was not a high priority at all. But learning about human sexual practices was really interesting to them. And I thought that was really neat. (laughs) If this feeling of not having permission to talk about sex isn't coming from like purity culture, evangelical Christianity, what are some other sources that it comes from in the secular world? I think that um, the Madonna whore complex extends far outside the Christian world. I don't know if that's something that you guys, how you would characterize it, but basically this idea that um, a woman is either, you know, this pure motherly type figure or she's a sexual being. She can't be both. And I think that plays into that shame around sexuality. Also, media portrayal of sex is just so poor, um, which obviously is a contributing factor. Um, A lot of people are also raised with that shame, even if it isn't as intense as in a purity culture. Either their parents don't want to talk about it, their schools don't want to talk about it, the religious communities don't want to talk about it. When they do, it's seen as this negative thing. I don't know. Gabi, what were you taught about sex growing up? 
what was I taught? My dad was a physician, so everything that I learned about sex was extremely clinical. It, it was, it was, uh, I'm I, like, I remember when I was in fifth grade, my fifth grade class, um, when they, they had the part where they're like actually teaching you about sex when, uh, when they get all the all the classes together and the the woman who came in to teach us about sex was one of my friend's mothers um because she was also a doctor so it was just like very very it was just like very weird it just i just the thing that i remember most was just the awkwardness of all of it and it just but it was largely focused on reproduction, I assume. Yes, it was largely focused on reproduction and like any of the any of the like this might be something that you actually want to do was almost like intellectualized out of it in that um intellectualized why some things were good and some things were bad. And so it it was just a topic that never really came up. Yeah, so I think for a lot of people it is very clinical or kind of talked about as like a you shouldn't do this you know until you're older type of thing there's no real talk about pleasure there's not a lot of talk about consent um i'm hoping things are different now than when we grew up but like it or not america is kind of built around christian values and part of that is purity culture whether we want to admit it or not and when we're talking to people who were raised in purity culture i I I like that you pointed out that this is a secular problem and not exclusive to purity culture or Christianity, because I tend to think of sexual repression in Christianity as a concentrated version of what exists outside of Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's the same stuff for the most part. It's just condensed and multiplied. So when people feel like they need to ask permission, it's... um people who were raised in purity culture feel like they need permission to say words pertaining to body parts mm-hmm. or to to read um, medical or clinical or sex educational materials. Um, Gabby, you'll remember earlier in the episode, we were speaking about Paul and Morgan, where Paul got a lot of heat online because he told people to watch sex education, non-explicit YouTube videos. Yes. No, that's totally true. That's man, that's really interesting to think about. What does um what does Francie say in the answer to this question? She kind of she goes off on a rabbit trail and doesn't answer it as directly as I would like her to, but what she says, I really don't hate. Uh she says to think of in a Christian marriage, don't think of it as sex toys, think of it as sex tools. Like this should be something to experience together that makes Sorry, your Gabby. <laughs> Sorry. My my groan in this is more to do with the is that they will take something that that's just like the known name for something and they will change the name of it slightly to make it okay for Christians to do. Like See, but I was kind of okay with that. I was like I don't understand why you can't ca- can't call it sex toys. Toys implies pleasure and fun, and that's a good thing. Um, but if it makes you feel better to call it a sex tool, call it a sex tool. Who cares? She doesn't like go and recommend and be like, you should use this vibrator together with your partner. What she says is she's like, the best tool that I've found is this triangular-shaped pillow. Okay, that- good point. 
Boos, like, I'm just like, this doesn't really answer the question because she's asking basically a roundabout way of, is it okay if I masturbate, if I'm on like a, a Skype call mm-hmm. with my boyfriend or like a FaceTime with my, or a FaceTime with my husband, excuse me, because it's, right. it's a I, I just, I feel like, like there was such an obvious available answer to this question, uh, which is WeVibe. So if you're not familiar, this is a uh, sex tool that... <laughs> that is a whole it's a whole line of products that vibrate and they can be controlled from uh nearby with a remote control but there's an app and they can be controlled through someone's phone so you can link your sex tool to your partner's <laughs> mobile phone and your partner can literally control it over wi-fi from anywhere in the world that i feel like that would have been a very easy answer to this question because then in keeping with these particular set of morals and values you are still having this experience with your partner even though they are not physically present yes but the problem is sadie then it wouldn't be about the man's pleasure which was my big takeaway from this is like right your advice is really good but it's so shrouded by this like it's all about pleasing your husband <laughs> So something that has come up for us constantly in doing all of this research is phrasing like, your wife should be feeling pleasure too. It's the two that makes that sentence problematic. Because the the assumption is that men are always going to get theirs. The uh, new wild thing that is being brought into the equation is, oh no, actually women should get pleasure also. But it also feels like women shouldn't be miserable (laughs) Um, more than just focusing on like the, her having an orgasm because it feels good. And you know, now we're all, we don't say orgasm here. We say culmination. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think before, so before this recent Renaissance in Christian sex content, the accepted, truth about marriage was that men have men want to have sex women lie back and think of england and that is very literally how all of this filtered down to me as a kid growing up in purity culture and it's also that sex is a thing that a man does to a woman and it took me years to work on that thought alone like this is not something that someone does to me this is something that i do with someone i I don't know it's very radical for people to now be coming out and saying oh no women actually can feel pleasure (laughs) and should that's a huge step but it's such they have so far to go that's an actual piece of advice that I wanted to talk about from this episode. Um, men should make sure that their wife is getting pleasure out of sex. I mean, that's like saying, make sure that you eat food so that you'll have energy to go about your day. Make sure you have a valid driver's license if you're going to drive a car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's move on to the next one. This one might bring some good conversation. If you like something that your husband is doing when you're having sex, you should tell him that you like it. If he is doing something that you don't like, you should tell him, but be really, really gentle so you don't hurt his ego. 
This showed up in almost every piece of media that we reviewed for this week's episode and also for the Patreon exclusive this week. (laughs) Was there any indication of when you should be telling him? No, they did. They did not inform us whether it should be at the time or later or what. Or before or just or or like in your quarterly review. (laughs) Carrier (laughs) pigeon. No. <laughs> what's so what's the right answer? That sounded like there was an answer to that. Is there a an optimal time to tell somebody something like that? Well, I want to hear Agavius to say, please. Coming coming from a man's perspective, I am perfectly fine if um yeah, I mean we are we do not pick up subtle clues. I'll just say that right now, men do not pick up subtle clues. If you need to like physically like grab my head and move it, <laughs> Or angle it to a place where it needs to be to, you know, so that the the thing is hitting the right spot or whatever. Like, if you literally need to, like, physically with your hands, grab my head and move it to the place that it needs to be, you should do that. Okay, so your your answer is during, at, at the time. At the time to make sure that it, like to make sure everything happens properly. And then if if that happens, I will make a mental note of that and remember that for the future. So you get yeah, you prefer a direct and immediate approach. Men, like I'm saying, men do not pick up on subtlety. We do not pick up on subtext. We do, like we like we literally do not. Un, uh, it 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 does not occur, it does not exist for us. Like be be very direct, especially but if then, you're in the moment. But then, what if someone hurts your your fragile little ego? <laughs> If you're in the moment, ego, it, like your brain is not operating on that level. Your brain is operating on such like a like a low like primal level that like ego does not exist for you. You've clearly at, never been a fundy man, Sadie. I was just waiting to make the same joke. <laughs> that's all. Like th- this is my personal experience. I've like once like once you're during the act, like ev- like ego. Like all the all the stuff, like it goes out the window. Like that's not where your brain is at. So I'm with you, Gavi. But I also think about um, the situations where it might not be safe to do that. Um, A lot of men can get violent if they don't get what they want. Um, And I'm not saying that's the experience of anybody within their marriage, but it could be. We also don't know what people's backgrounds are, their trauma history. So I think there are a lot more factors that come into play. Um, And I do think that it's also situational. Like, I think it's totally fine if like someone did something in bed that like you were fine with it, but like you didn't, you know, love it. You could wait till after you're done and say something or a neutral time when you're not having sex. So nobody like, you know, takes it to be more than it is. Um, I do think if it's something that's causing you physical pain or something that might trigger a PTSD response and potentially lead to a panic attack or anything, that's something you're going to want to stop and say it right there. That is is really solid advice. Should we should we move on to one that I think is bad advice? Yeah. <laughs> so this was the thing where it, like because because Francie Winslow, I was like, okay, she's fundy, but she's like all right and then she gave yeah. this piece of advice and i was like this lady is out of her mind oh this, 
Yeah, this one is is bad. This one's really I bad. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> this was in the first episode. I'm not sure if you got to wow, this one okay. in your research. So here's her advice. Always pee after sex. That's good advice. But you will probably only need to do this for the first year of marriage oh, because no. you because you will get used to your husband's bodily oh, fluids. No. Oh god, that got so bad so quickly. Oh, like listen, always pee after sex. Yes. It doesn't matter what like it 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 doesn't it like no matter who you are, you should always pee after sex, and it doesn't matter how long you've been married. Yes, do not. It, don't get a UTI. Nobody wants UTIs. No, but. well, you know, you get used to your husband's bodily fluids and then you're fine. That's a different hole. Yeah, I don't. I, that's. Oh, God. The urethra <laughs> and the vagina are different holes. She does Jesus. talk about like getting to know your own body. You would think that she would know this. This is crazy. Like, what the. Like, I'm. I'm just. So, so somebody should explain this correctly, just to like set the record straight, because we've read this horrible advice into the official record of our podcast. Um, Do do either of you want to do it? Are you going to let me do it? Uh, You can do it, Sadie. Okay. So this is so for AFAB people, if you have any type of penetrative sex, no matter what body part or object is going inside your body, bacteria can get physically pushed by whatever object into your urethra and then when you go pee you are hopefully pushing it physically like those bacteria back out it is not a chemical problem with somebody's bodily fluids and it is it is nothing to do with the man manlyhood or the semen of a person who you are having sex with it is it has to do with with a physical reaction not a chemical reaction and anybody with a vagina who has any kind of penetrative sex should pee afterwards because the risk is pretty much the same regardless of what body part or object is doing the penetrating. The the idea of you'll get used to your husband's bodily fluids so you don't need to pee after <laughs> like what are they what are they say are they saying that is 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 she suggesting that you just like raw dog and then go all day without like cleaning yourself out? Is well, that only, what? <laughs> well, for the first, not for the first year. <laughs> this is actually insane advice. I'm you just like go ar- like just go around all day with. <laughs> well, I mean, these people are all like they they don't believe that women should work outside the home. Okay, so. but like you like you stand up and you walk around like. Uh, this this is nasty. What the. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know where she got this. I really wish she posted um, her sources. I couldn't find any. Sadie, maybe you saw. Um, no, I didn't see anything. I heard she'd mentioned one book, but I looked up the author, and she was like a Christian counselor who did a no, not even a counselor, a coach who did a four day certification in sex addiction. Um, so she's an mm. expert. Um, but also, while we're on the topic, like wash your hands before doing anything too. You know, especially if you were like doing something dirty beforehand, smoking a cigarette, whatever. So along along the same lines, um, we have a lot of advice in this episode about lube. The issue is that Bethany recommends Astroglide. Really? 
Yeah, which is maybe not the best. Sadie, actually, would you like to explain to people why Astroglide might not be the best choice of lube? Yeah, so this definitely differs from person to person. There are absolutely people who can use it with no problem. But Astroglide contains glycerin, which is a sugar. So it is very likely to cause pH problems for any vagina owners that use it. So there there are definitely people who can use it and it's just not an issue. But I would always tell people to find something with no glycerin. You want to know what my hypothesis is about this? Do you want to know why I think that Bethany suggests this brand of lube? Why? Is because you can buy it at the grocery store and you can do a self-checkout so nobody needs to see you buying it. You can it. hide it in your car. Yeah, makes sense. And and you don't need to go to like a sex shop to buy it because she wouldn't want to actually go to a sex shop. Yeah, but I feel like that's very invalid because you can buy anything on the internet. That's true, but she's not going to know what brand to get. She's just going to get the one that she sees at the grocery store because that's the the one that she can buy in person easily and be able to do it inconspicuously. But if she has to go on the internet for it, then she's got to go to potentially... uh, 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 Defrauding websites. Yeah, yeah. yeah, (laughs) Websites that might contain sex advice that is not Christian sex advice. And so can't have that right this is the same woman who who did an ad for a christian based lingerie brand the thing that makes them christian is that they don't have their pieces modeled on humans so it's safe it's a safe website for husbands to shop for their wives um so there there is a a one decent piece of of lube advice in this episode um bethany says don't use oil-based lube with condoms that is correct we got something right (laughs) Bethany, of course, follows this up by saying, well, I mean, I mean, if you're using condoms, because we have never used them because we have always wanted children. So I wanted to go, I wanted to go to something that we heard in the second episode. And I want to ask Liat about a, per- a particular term that was used because I feel like this is a good term, but I want you to tell me if I'm correct or incorrect. Okay. So the term that Bethany and Francie were using to describe women who would like to be able to experience an orgasm with their part- their husbands, in this case, only husbands, but have not yet been able to. They are using the term pre-orgasmic. That almost sounds good. Is that, is that good? Are they doing a good job here? Um, yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I feel like that um, it's not... Yeah, that's a real term. Oh, cool. Because they're not saying, oh, you're never going to be able to experience this. And they're not shaming the fact that you have not yet experienced this. They are saying that it's something that is still in your future. Still possibly in your future. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Um, I would just like to add that 10% of women never experience an orgasm. um, And I'm not saying that that means that it's impossible for them. There hasn't been much research on this. But there are women who may never experience an orgasm. And... I just want to normalize that for anyone listening. Um, what are the, what's the cause or do we not know? Um, I don't know. It's possible we know, but I think there hasn't really been a lot of research in this area. Um, a lot of research in the sex field too is through survey taking. So it's very subjective and it's really hard to get an accurate picture Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are also women who think they've had an orgasm and haven't, 
and vice versa who think they haven't but had because orgasms are not the same for everyone and not all orgasms are the same. You might have a big, you know, kind of like full body orgasm sometimes and just have a tiny little, you know, like, ooh, <laughs> another time. <laughs> Do you feel like the way that they talked about that was realistic? Did you have any big pros or cons that came up? So again, I feel like a lot of this, they're making really good points, but the conclusions are wrong to me. Um, kind of like what you guys were saying in your episode last week um, with Ginger's book. But my big issue is that she, Francie Winslow, that is, keeps saying that if you, you know, keep trying and you put all this work in, you're going to get there and things are going to be good. And um, that's what it's all about is just keep trying and trying some more until you get the orgasm. I think that's really irresponsible because it ignores all the other reasons other than self-exploration and exploration with your partner and trying that lead to sexual dysfunction. Um, one of the first things that a sex therapist will do is make sure you've gone to see a doctor or um, a gynecologist, a urologist. They might refer you to a pelvic floor physical, physical therapist So there is a medical component that sometimes needs to be addressed. And I think it's very irresponsible to be like, if you just pray enough and you try hard enough, things are going to get better. Because there are so many, you know, medical things that could be at play. As simple as a UTI that needs to get treated, that can make sex incredibly Mm -hmm. painful. I also think that they're really missing the psychological component. Um, People, not just people who have a history of trauma, sexual or otherwise, but all the other things, the guilt, the shame that might be getting in the way. But there's something called the dual control model of sexual response, which was developed by the Kinsley Institute, which basically says that sexual response is the product of a balance between excitatory and inhibitory processes. Um, So basically excitation, which is commonly thought of like a gas pedal um, or an accelerator, It's responding to everything in your environment, what you see, hear, touch, taste, smell, imagine, you know, all that stuff. And it's sending that information to your brain, which leads to arousal, horniness, whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, there are breaks, the inhibitory part of the brain um, that's responding to the stimuli and focusing on all the reasons why you shouldn't be turned on right now. Um, Seeing potential threats. This is why, you know, you might see someone when you're out when you're at work or something and be like oh wow they're really hot but like you're not gonna start masturbating or whatever because the part of your brain that tells you that's not appropriate um and basically arousal is about finding the balance between those two things and finding kind of that sweet spot whether it's having to pump the brakes um somehow or you know put your foot on the gas whatever it is Research also supports the idea that women have more sensitive brakes and men have more sensitive accelerators, which I'm sure isn't a surprise to anyone. But basically, I'm saying all this to say that there is so much more going on in your head when you're trying to have sex than just the position or, you know, your partner. There are all these other things in our lives that could make things difficult, um, that could distract you. You know what I mean? You know what I think is so odd here is that in 
this book they're talking about how you should make sure that you don't mess with a man's ego at all because that might get in his head that might cause problems for him but then when it comes to women it's just like if you want to have an orgasm you just gotta like yeah go and just like hit it and hit it and hit it and hit it until it happens and if it doesn't happen then you're either not trying hard enough or you're not doing it the right way yes and it it seems just like it's it's such a a a a, a contradictory mindset about these things right because if if something is in the man's way psychologically it's the woman's fault but if something is in the woman's way psychologically it's also her fault that that, that is exactly how it's presented in all of this material yep <laughs> yeah. yeah and just like another thing to add on to that um growing up in purity culture there's such a focus on sex being bad and sex being this negative thing and I'm sure, I don't know, Sadie, if you've experienced anything like this, but I've always heard about these, um, like you lick a lollipop and then you try to put back on the wrapper or you mm-hmm. pull a flower and now try to put it back together. And they're like, oh, that's what happens to you when you lose your virginity. Mm-hmm. Um, Chewed gum, licked candy bar, smashed apple, broken vase. I have been all of these objects in my life. Much. Um Yes. Um, so one of the things that really annoyed me that happened on this, on the interview with um, Francie Winslow was they um, asked about women who lose their libido after they get married. Mm-hmm. And Francie Winslow's advice, which was not bad advice, was basically like, oh, well, it takes time to grow as a couple and to learn each other and learn what you like and feel comfortable, which is great. And that's you know, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Learn your body, learn your partner's body, um, all fine and good. But I think for women who grew up in purity culture, it could be really hard to make that shift when you quote unquote lose your virginity. You know, we all know virginity is not a real thing. Um, even if you are married and that makes it technically okay, I think it could be really difficult to lose that identity as this pure person. You can't really just switch that off. I don't know if either of you have seen Jane the Virgin, but there was a plot line in that, you know, where she gets married and she's going to have sex for the first time. And then she just feels so much shame and, and is unable to make that switch in her head between like, I'm this pure virgin and now I'm not. Well, I'm reminded of something that I read in Heather's book. Do you remember this chapter, Sadie? I'm sure I do, but which one? Uh, and she talked about this on our show where where she said that she went and she looked in the mirror to try to see if the light had left her eyes. Yeah. Yes. So I think th- this kind of content is trying to dispel some of the shame that people who were raised in purity culture may feel when they get married and then have sex for the first time. But what this doesn't deal with is what you were talking about, Leah, the loss of identity. Because purity culture encourages you so heavily to put your identity in virginity and in in waiting till marriage. Uh, Even Morgan of Paul and Morgan, she had a tattoo that said until marriage, I think is what it said. But people, people get... True love waits tattoos. People wear purity rings every day of their life. And then you got to take that off. And what is yeah, that? Yeah, and you're, it, I think this, this 
content is, I think, maybe good-heartedly trying to deal with one side of this, which is the shame and the guilt. But what nobody is touching is the loss of identity and the, I think people mourn that loss of identity and whether they know it or not. And they don't really know how to deal with that. Well, this kind of content, it feels to me like it's such a, we, we have this problem here and they're talking about what the problem is, but this kind of content feels like it's such a band-aid rather than being willing to address mm -hmm. what the root cause of the problem is, but they can't do that because that would mean that they have to change the way that, that, that Christian culture treats all of these things entire, entirely. And they would have to address and say, actually, purity culture is really damaging, but they can't do that because that's their whole thing. That's something that is so intrinsic to their identity as a group. And that's something that they so strongly support that getting rid of that would just cause too much problems. So they have to like make this sort of band-aid kind of content. Right. They even call out purity culture by name in this episode, but they don't say, oh, this is why it's bad. They just say, well, here's the hack that is going to help you fix this. I don't know. It. I mean, it just seems like they're missing the forest for the trees here. Just like, yeah, just like. So I have a couple more pieces of actual advice that we can go through here before we wrap up. That sounds great. Let's do that. Okay. Um. Here's Here's one. This is almost good advice i think uh help yourself get in the mood by wearing something that makes you feel sexy or doing your hair and makeup mm -hmm. i love that um, i got 50 50 on this one like this is no i have no problem with this at all yeah if your partner doesn't love you and think you're beautiful and sexy when you're in yesterday's pjs with like no makeup and greasy hair they don't deserve you, but <laughs> yeah, but, but this time she didn't say for your husband, she said, so you feel right. Um, and she also similarly made a point about how, when you're dating, you kind of put that effort in, which is totally true. Um, she was talking about um, scheduling sex and she says that people think that that's not a romantic thing. It should be spontaneous. It should be heat of the moment. But no, it's always planned. If I was dating a guy and I thought sex was on the table, you know, that day I'm taking a shower. I'm shaving the parts of my body that I shave. I am plucking my eyebrows. I am doing my makeup the best I can. I'm wearing something I feel cute in. Mm -hmm. That's and all it's foreplay. Yes. So... I do have the caveat that, you know, especially as, as uh, someone who takes care of a tiny, drooly, messy person as part of my job, and I do not always look cute, if your partner doesn't love you when you look a wreck, then you, they don't deserve you. I 100% agree. And if you feel sexy when you are a little bit of a wreck because you were with your baby all day, then great. <laughs> but doing this for yourself is Excellent advice. Mm -hmm. Like doing it to make yourself in the mood is great advice. Question? Yeah. Say you want to do a morning sesh. Are you, it, it, is, is this teaching saying that you should get up out of bed and go do your hair and makeup and then come back to bed? Or? I don't think that's what Bethany and Francie were saying, but that is what they taught me at Hiles Anderson. Really? Yeah. I, I feel wow. like I told you about this. So, Hiles Anderson, like the Christian womanhood classes, they teach that you go to bed with your hair done and your makeup on. Oh, no. <laughs> and then after, well, it, 
after your husband has done the sex to you, um, you get back up after he falls asleep and you go put your, put your curlers in, take off your makeup. And then you set your alarm for 30 minutes before he wakes up in the morning so that you can get up, put on makeup and fix your hair. And he never sees you without your hair and makeup done. That sounds so exhausting. (laughs) That is an insane teaching. That is not realistic at all. Also, this is probably why, I don't know, do, do fundies have bad skin? This feels like this is really bad for your skin. and, and You would never know because it's always covered in makeup. Oh, man. <laughs> but I, don't, I don't think this is what Bethany and Francie were recommending, fortunately. I hope not. Dear I think Lord. their recommendation was a good bit more healthy. Here's another oh. another piece of actual advice. This one may not get quite the, the rave reviews. Um, <laughs> this is from the first podcast episode. Oh, Don't God. go into it with a give and take, but give and seek to bless. There is abundant joy in self-sacrifice. What? <laughs> That's Christian sex advice. <laughs> this is perfectly fine piece of advice but the cringe the christianese delivery is making my skin crawl so if you phrased it as like put your partner first make their experience let their experience be important to you and don't keep score i think is good advice like i don't think it's something to keep score sexually or in life in general like i loaded the dishwasher five times this week and you only did it three times like i think that's really really unhealthy but they, uh, the problem I have with this piece of advice is they say, Bethany's Instagram follower, whoever wrote this advice, said the phrase self-sacrifice. And oh. they definitely could mean put your partner first and don't keep score. But it could really be implying something much more sinister. And there's no way of knowing what this random person who sent a sex advice DM to Bethany's Instagram meant. So that's why it bugs me. Right. And there's always a sub-meaning to everything that the fundies say. So, mm-hmm. and this is also directed towards women, correct? Right. Because if we were directing it towards both partners, I have way less of an issue with it. Sometimes you're going to satisfy him and he's not going to satisfy you. Sometimes you're going to satisfy her and she's not going to satisfy you. Would be fine. But you're a woman, you have to please your husband, whether or not you're getting any pleasure back. Makes mm-hmm. it a lot darker. Right. Or even, even the idea of once in a while have a sex i don't know how, what do, what do we say sex session i feel yeah. like you've gotten in my a, head Gabby. <laughs> once in a while yeah once in a while <laughs> have a sexual encounter where you put your partner first and really make it about them yeah. if that is advice that is applied equally to all genders and all people in a relationship that's amazing advice Once in a while, just make it all about them. Yeah. Hopefully vice versa. Okay, so here's here's something that has actually come up a couple times, and now I have an actual expert I can ask. What my understanding is that people who are sex experts and people who are addiction experts do not agree on whether porn addiction is a thing. I know there a lot of people say it is, a lot of people say that it isn't, but that my overarching point is that people who occasionally use porn are not addicts. Am I coming at this correctly? Was there anything you wanted to add to that? I just want to say that I am so sick of men coming into my office 
and telling me they're a porn addict or telling me they're a sex addict. And I ask them what they mean. And they tell me either their last therapist or their wife or their girlfriend told them that they are. And so they are. And I ask them how often they masturbate to porn. And they say like once a day or three times a week or even twice a day. And I'm like, is it preventing you from taking care of things at home? No. Is it preventing you from doing your work? No. Is it preventing you from eating, sleeping, you know, doing things that a human needs to do? No. So what's the problem here? <laughs> I mean, you're not a addict. Right. So it's, it's more people have a problem with the idea of it and they say, well, this <laughs> yes. the thing in and of itself is a problem. So basically the real issue here is incongruence, which is when your, um, your beliefs, your morals, your whatever is kind of in conflict with your actions. Um, so a way to work with it is to change the action, which would be stopping masturbation, stopping watching porn, whatever, or it's to change your view of it um, and to try to reduce that shame and that mental hang up. Sex is part of being a human. Sexuality is part of being human. Having sexual desires is part of being human. It's normal. It's healthy. It's good. You get a lot of benefits from having sex. You, um, it releases oxytocin and you know all those other feel-good chemicals. Um, it's good for your immune system. If you are a person with a uterus, it can help reduce cramps when you have your period. There are so many benefits of sex and having an orgasm. Um, if you're not having it partnered or you're not having it enough partnered or, and by enough, I mean as much as you would like to be, if your partner's across the country or at work, there's nothing wrong with masturbating and watching porn. It's not cheating. Um, if you're concerned about the ethics of it, seek out ethical porn, um, which can really be considered anything you're paying for where the money is going directly to the creator. Does that answer your question? I'm sorry. I kind of like went on a soapbox. Yeah. About no. no, that was exactly what I was hoping you would. I was hoping you would go on a soapbox for us. on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, research just doesn't support that pornography is bad or it's harmful. So I just want everyone to get that out of their heads. Yeah, we just, we, you know, we don't call people who ha drink alcohol a couple times a week alcoholics. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're fundy, if you're a Christian fundy, then you I'm might. I'm getting but to that. Sure, <laughs> but a lot of people have a glass of wine every day after work. <laughs> yeah. I love and, wine. And, yeah. and we, we don't societally shame that, but I feel like um, there is a societal shame around people who consume pornography more than whatever the person they're talking to finds acceptable mm -hmm. and like i was saying with with purity culture and general sex shaming it's the same thing just heavily concentrated for men in purity culture and i think that's so harmful when you label somebody oh you have a porn addiction as a response to them <laughs> expressing their very normal sexuality and sexual desires the the, the harms of purity culture like, you know it always it always harms women by default it always harms afab people by default but i think it it harms the harms for men and amab people are just as real even though 
it was built to harm women, it, it ends up harming everyone. It's not just that this can be a thing that 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 really shames what is normal sexual behavior. This can also be a thing that can be kind of used to cover up especially heinous sexual behavior. The one thing that I'm remembering is that I mean, is that Josh Duggar, he's the guy that really comes to mind whenever somebody talks about like quote unquote pornography addiction because he you know he had those dating apps where he was cheating on his wife and then he pretended that it was oh it was pornography addiction Mm -hmm. and then when he was arrested for the child sexual abuse materials he you know it was like oh it's he has a pornography addiction poor him he's 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 suffering you know whatever Mm -hmm. but those are both things that are unethical that are that are wrong that are bad things that you shouldn't do and those were both things that were like they tried to to use the porn addiction thing as like a way to sweep them under the rug. Yes, but I would point out that when he was a young teenager and he was viewing pornography in a way that is that would be normal for a teenage boy to want to do, he was shamed because they told him he had a porn addiction. That same term was used to shame and label him as a young person and punish him as a young person. And then it was used again when he was an adult to to attempt to sweep his crimes under the rug and attempt to let him off the hook. It's kind of a double-edged sword there, isn't yes. it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, this has, this has been a, a really interesting conversation. I... I have to say, I hated these two Girl Divine podcasts less than I thought I would. There is, it's an interesting mix of pretty good advice and pretty bad advice. Well, Bethany's also really stepped up her game as far as like on mic performance. She really has. I like say what you will about her, but she is much better at podcasting now than she used to be. Yeah. Well, she is um, now reportedly going to release an online Christian sex course, oh, which yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I will not be, um, I will not allow our patrons to financially support us buying that. Cause it's going to be like 400 freaking dollars. Cause it's Bethany. <laughs> uh, I would have enjoyed that though. <laughs> you know, You know what I will say on on that note, this is my final thoughts about everything that we've talked about on these girl defined episodes. If you are getting sex advice from Bethany Beal, you should stop praying immediately because clearly your God hates you. Oh, thanks. (laughs) A little harsh. (laughs) Where is the lie? Where is the lie? People are doing the best with what they know. Uh, you know, I, as much as this is really fun to snark on, I'm glad, I'm glad they're doing it because if the only advice that somebody is willing to listen to is this, uh, heavily Christian for heterosexual married couples only sex advice that is couched in Bible verses and prayer, if that's the only advice that somebody is willing to listen to, I would rather them have it than have nothing. And a lot of it wasn't that bad. So I'm with you, Sadie. I think, you know, any sex ed is good. Except for the peeing thing. That was insane. <laughs> except for, yeah. <laughs> except, for, except for that. And maybe the astroglide. No matter what, do always pee after sex. This is just, 
do it. I did want to <laughs> shout out um, an Instagram account that is maybe a better resource uh, than than Bethany. Um, the The account is at Erica Smith Sex Ed on Instagram. She is a sex educator who primarily works with people who have experienced purity culture. And she's amazing. I love everything she posts. Um, so if you're looking, that would be one resource that I would recommend on this topic. All right. Well, th- thank you guys so much uh, for tuning into this episode. I'm going to go like leave now and like bleach my brain out from having to listen to all of this Christian sex advice. Um, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I am going to try to coerce my husband to live reacting for this, like for like an Instagram reel, like just letting me play him little clips of this and getting his reaction. He's probably not going to go for it. Yeah, well, do like a uh, uh, play the TikTok and then do the duet on tic- like the reaction duet on TikTok. That's the the move. Uh, if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, go and subscribe to it on wherever you're listening to your podcasts. It really helps us out. You can join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. And there is a bonus episode on our Patreon coming out tomorrow. It is uh, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. If you're listening to this on release day, um, February 14th, there is an episode where Sadie and I review a Christian sex advice book and marriage advice book. It's called guaranteed to put you in a sexy mood for Valentine's. Let me tell (laughs) you, yo, this, this book is, this book will make you culminate. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god uh you can follow the podcast on social media follow us on facebook and instagram at leaving eden podcast on twitter at leaving eden pod leah do you want to plug your social media sure um i'm on twitter at it's liat i t s l i a t and I just set up a Instagram account, Love Sex Liat. Um, there's currently nothing posted. Hopefully, there will be next week um, or whenever this is coming out. But I'm hoping to start putting up some mental health and sex-related content for those of you who are interested. We love well, it. I just I just followed you on that account. I'm very excited to be one of your first followers. Thank you. And thank um, you so much for joining us on this episode. I yeah, feel like your expertise really came in handy. It was really fun. And I just wanted to also let your listeners know that they can DM me if they want any advice on how to find trustworthy information. Um, and I will try my best to point you in the right direction. We have, that's something I've really been trying to do with the podcast is give more resources because I realized that I can't be a resource for everything. So I want to collect a, a huge list of resources for yeah. people who are looking for something specific. That's awesome. Kind of like we have the fundy, uh, uh, the, the fundy isms glossary on our, uh, on our Reddit page. Yes. That's useful. Sadie, you want to plug your socials? Sure thing. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter music. You can follow me on Twitter at hell yeah sadie and on tiktok at sadie carpenter one and as always you can follow me on facebook instagram and twitter at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e and thank you guys so much for tuning in you guys have a great day bye-bye but oh.
you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.